a story from God's Word that kings and priests and prophets heard. There would be a sacrifice and blood would flow to Amen. Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of John, John chapter 15, verse 5. And again, we've been addressing this issue of prayer, seeing that it is our theme for the year. Let's pray. We've been going through a series and just trying to address some of the uh, areas of prayer that are important. We've talked about a number of areas already. We've uh, looked into this idea of the power of prayer, the privilege of prayer, the prerequisite of prayer, the, the purpose of prayer. And uh, this morning, I want to address another issue and another area. I want to talk about the posture of prayer, the posture of prayer. And so let's go ahead and uh, take a look, first of all, at chapter 15, verse 5. Chapter 15, verse 5 here. And again, it's kind of our, it's our theme verse for the year, if you will, if, you, if there is a theme verse. But it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And again, we've been over and over this a little bit, but I think repetition indeed is the key to learning. And so he states right off the bat, I am the vine and you're the branches. What a picture that is for the believer today. You know, as the branches, we are to abide in the vine. Abide means to rest or to dwell. And it's important that we do so. He says, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Therefore, if we're abiding in the vine, then we as the branches are going to bring forth much fruit. Now, it's important to recognize this too. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen uh, branches in vines? So the, the, the vines begin, uh, the, the, the uh, vine, should I say, the branches begin to look like the vine. And the longer they're there and the more they grow, the more they appear to be uh, the very root of things. But in reality, they're just simply the branches. That vine is the, the root of all the, uh, of all, of all the essence of all the, the minerals and the byproduct of everything that we need to grow. But in the end, if we stay connected to that vine, we as branches will begin to look just like the vine. And that's what God intends for us. 
As we rest in Christ, we will uh, we'll, we'll continually be in his presence. If we'll do that, then we're going to bring forth much fruit. And that's what the Bible's teaching us. He ultimately stops and says, by the way, if you'll be um, in me and, and you'll continue to fellowship with me, you'll, you'll abide in me, then you'll bring forth much fruit. However, if not, realize, recognize this truth, without me, ye can do nothing. You have to keep in mind, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, it's wonderful to know what it takes to prosper, what it takes to succeed. It's another thing to do what's necessary to get it done. And God wants us to understand that if we don't take steps to abide in Christ, then what will indeed happen is nothing permanent, nothing eternal. Because without him, we can do nothing. And so we came to the conclusion, if indeed we can do nothing, if if it is indeed the case, and it is, that apart from the vine, there's no spiritual life, there's no spiritual fruit, that there's nothing, then we said, well, you know what? Let's pray then. We better get to praying. Because that's how we connect with God. That's how we, we invite the presence and the power of God to affect the world in which we live. Through prayer. Boy, I'll tell you what. It's been said man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Now again, we have taken the time to consider, as I said, the privilege of prayer. And it is indeed a privilege. We talked about the power of prayer. Boy, is there ever. It is dynamite. It's amazing what God can and will do as a result of prayer. We talked about some of the prerequisites of prayer and the needed aspect of prayer. What is it that that we as a, a, a person need to be focusing on? What do we need to ensure that's transpiring and taking place in our own lives that will provide God the opportunity to bless us in prayer? Those prerequisites. And then we talked about the purpose of prayer. <laughs> really, when it's all said and done, we found that it's to change us from the inside out and to bring glory to God. Finally, today, again, as I said, we want to talk about the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. I wonder today uh, if we could consider the posture of prayer. I mean, we're talking about the position of prayer. Is there a position that we ought to be praying in? Is there one specific position that we should assume if we really want to get God's attention well, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7, pray without ceasing. Now, if you're going to pray without ceasing, may I say probably one position isn't going to get it done. I mean, if you're going to pray everywhere and all the time, you're going to have a hard time in one position. I'm going to kneel. Okay, do that all day, every day, 24 hours a day. It's not going to happen. If you did that, try to do that, you probably couldn't get back up. You'd freeze in that position. Remember how when you was a kid, your mama said, don't make those faces because if you do, you'll eventually look like that. You'll freeze. Your face will freeze just like that. Has your mama never told you that? My parents used to tell me that. We'd make stupid faces. And my mom would go, don't do that. Your face will freeze like that. And you'll look stupid your whole life. Well, you know what? If you got down on your knee like that and bowed down to the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you couldn't get back up either. You'd be froze there probably. So we're going to find that there's not, just, there's not one correct posture of prayer. And we're going to consider different postures of prayer in the Bible. And then we're going to really make the application that we need to make this morning when it comes to this issue. So let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll move along. Father, we thank you. We praise you for this time we have. Help us to be encouraged. May you, Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, without you, again, we can do nothing. So we commit the service into your hand. We commit our, our lives into your hands. Father, may you just speak to us in a way. May you remove all distractions in our lives and in our minds right now. May we, Father, focus our attention on your word and on you. And may you, Father, do what only you can in our hearts and lives. And Lord, if there be those in our midst that are without Jesus Christ, may they not leave here without the Savior in their soul, in their life. And Father, may they not leave here without a reservation in heaven one day. We just pray for your leadership. And may the believer, Father, not leave here without a resolve, without a determination to be closer to you and to be praying to you and to have the right spirit and attitude in the midst of it all. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So the posture of prayer. 
Again, the Bible exhorts us to pray without ceasing, and so that necessitates a variety of positions if we're going to truly accomplish the request or the command. I think about different positions, and so let's talk about a few. First of all, there's that element of standing, standing and praying. It's probably not one of the most popular ones as far as uh, as church. You think about, well, we're going to go to church, we're going to stand and pray. We do it all the time, don't we? Let's all stand and pray. Again, after the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abraham sends his servant in search of a wife for his son Isaac. The servant's sent back home to where Abraham's family was, and there he meets up with Rebekah, the daughter of Laban. He, he begins to pray there as he's standing. In the book of Genesis 24, verse 12, he says, And he said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and shew kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. I don't know if you understand how much camels drink. Let me tell you something. If this prayer was answered, it was a miracle. And it was answered, by the way. Just, just for a moment, let me finish, but, and I'll, I'll mention something. But he says, let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast shewed kindness unto my master. Now, I don't know. First of all, I, I, like I said, I mean, he's praying pretty specific here. He said, there's going to be some damsels come on out to this well. And uh, I'm telling you, Lord, I want you to point out the one that is for my, my uh, uh, master's son, Isaac. And what I want you to do is have that, that person, that woman, come to me, and I want her to ask me, you know, uh, you know and, and she shall say, drink, offer me some water. But then she shall also let down her pitcher, and she's going to go ahead, she's going to go, I mean, should I say, she's going to say, drink, and she'll tell you, I will also give water to your camels. Now, notice that there's an S at the end of camel. That means there's more than one camel. There are camels, plural. I don't know if there were two. I don't know if there were three, four, or five. What I do know is there was more than one. And I don't know about you, but the last I heard in school, camels drink a lot of water. Now, uh, listen, I, I've been behind some guys uh, when I was in school after, play, uh, after being out on gym class or something, and it was a hot day, and they, they, I, you thought they were camels. Because they would be at the water fountain filling up, and you're like, come on, move on, get past her. We all got to get a drink before class starts. Man, you'd get so upset with them, and they just kept on slurping it down. And, and by the time you got up there, there was no more cold water anyway. It was all warm now. Been there, done that, right? Now, now listen, this, this, this prayer is done standing. I don't know if he was looking around at the time, but what I do know is he's in an, a standing position, and he's praying to the God of heaven, and he's begging God to answer his prayer very specifically. And all of a sudden, this damsel comes out and asks him, do you want some water, sir? I'd be glad to give you some water. And he says, well, there's the first one. Check that box. And all of a sudden, she says, oh, by the way, are those your camels? Yes, dear. I'll take care of that for you, too. And there she goes over and she starts to water those camels. I don't know about you, but I've heard numbers like 50 gallons. Can you imagine having to give a camel enough water to get through the desert? And she had more than one camel to take care of. How long did that take? How much effort did that demand? And all I'm saying is, is without a doubt, this wasn't a coincidence. This wasn't chance. I'm telling you, God had brought the right girl, and he made it perfectly clear. This is for your master, Isaac. And Isaac, his, his, he's got the wife. There she is. Man, clear as a bell. He did that standing. So God answers prayers of those that are standing. So the first one is Standing. But then also, we see in the Bible that there's a number of people that kneel. When you talk about these postures of prayer, standing, and then there's kneeling. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 40, the Bible says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
I don't know about you, that sounds like a prayer. I've asked God to do some things for me before. That sounds like it's a request. Seeing that Jesus is God, that sounds like a prayer request to me. In this case, there was no help available to this leper. I mean, this leper had no hope at all. It was in those days that, that there was no cure for leprosy. There was no way to alleviate the symptom. There was no way to help them in any way. And they'd already probably been to every doctor or anybody they possibly could if they had enough money to even see one. They were doomed. They were destined for destruction. And yet, here he is now crying out to God, Oh God, oh Lord Jesus, if you, can heal, you can heal me if you wanted. Kneeling down begging the Lord Jesus Christ to do a miracle in his life and in his body. Of course, the Lord heard his prayer and he was healed. Boy, the Lord answers prayers of those that are standing. The Lord answers prayers of those that are kneeling. And then we have this idea in the Bible, we have this other picture of of the posture of prayer, of looking upward. Looking upward. It wouldn't be long before the Lord would hang on Calvary, paying the sin debt of all humanity. The sin debt that humanity alone deserved to pay, mind you. In that very moment, he raises his head and eyes toward heaven, and he offers up a prayer. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also, that may glorify thee. We know that he did end up going to that cross and he sacrificed his life and he paid the sin debt. And the third day, he rose again. Oh, indeed, he answered that prayer too. Oh, he was standing there, it appears, looking up to heaven. See, God answers the prayers. It doesn't seem to matter what position. It doesn't seem to matter what our posture. I mean, it's standing or dealing or looking upward. Then in the Bible, we see this bowing down. In Exodus 34, 8, And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Bowed his head to the earth. Now, in this case, instead of looking up then, he must have looked down. Huh. So I can pray looking up. I can pray looking down. I can pray kneeling. I can pray standing. Yeah. Absolutely. We see in the Bible another position on our faces. The Bible in Genesis chapter 17, again dealing with Abram, it says, And Abram fell on his face and talked with God. He goes on to say what he said. It was on his face before God. He took a position on his face before God. He literally found himself on his face before God. Someone says, why would you ever do that? We'll talk about that in a moment. Do you think God answered Abram's prayers? (laughs) I do. I mean, it seems to me that God's answering prayers. It doesn't matter whether it's standing, kneeling, looking upward, bowing down on our face. Oh, we see another one, too. This one's rather unique. It's kind of different, really. Placing your head between the knees. (laughs) That's a weird one. It's kind of like you're on an airplane and they think it's going down. That ain't very fun to think about, is it? Especially when you're on a 17-hour flight like we were. Say, what flight? No inside jokes around here. We were going to the Philippines. It's a long flight. Let me put it that way. Placing the head between the knees. In this particular case, Elijah's going to do it. The Bible says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. I'm not going to get on the ground, but I got the impression that he puts his head between his knees. Now, I can't quite do that without hurting my back. Uh, that's kind of hard to do right now. But anyway, you get the idea. We'll leave that to the younger ones. <laughs> I don't know how old Elijah was. He probably was in pretty good shape. Did a little bit of running in those days too from what the Bible says. 
placing the head between the knees, God would answer his prayers too. And then in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 18, verse 13, we're going to find a person that's often, it's referred to as a, as a publican. Of course, they were viewed as sinners and, well, we know that all of us are sinners, so we all fit the bill. Notice what it says here in the book of Luke chapter eight, uh, 18, verse 13. The, the Bible says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Wow, he's pounding on his chest. Now, I, you know what? I, 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 I do that too when I'm imitating Tarzan. But the truth is, is that you don't have to do that, but you can. I mean, it's a, we see it in the Bible. Now, again, I believe God heard that prayer. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus even mentioned it. He pointed it all out. I don't know that that one's probably going to go over too good if you're in the car driving down the road and you stop at a light and you start going. I think people are going to go, what is wrong with that person? Might even get a phone call. And somebody might come behind you with lights flashing. So I might be a little bit careful where I do this one. But nonetheless, pounding on the chest or the breast. And then facing the temple. We see that in the Bible. And again, we don't see it that often, but we do recognize it with the, the, the Israelites. In this case, a declaration had been made. It had been signed forbidding prayer to any person or forbidding prayer to any other God other than the king. Daniel, he would go on to pray like he always did, the Bible says. He didn't just take up prayer so that he could oppose the government. He had already been praying three times a day, facing toward Jerusalem. Now again, you don't have to face toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem has no significance at all to me as a Christian, to be frank with you. But as an as a Israelite, it meant a lot. Especially when you're in captivity and you're longing to go back home because you'd been taken out of your land by an enemy. The Bible says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem... He kneeled down, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, giving thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So he kneels down facing toward Jerusalem and he prayed. Then we have this picture of lifting the hands. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, the Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. Lifting up holy hands. Now, in a Baptist church like ours sometimes, if somebody lifts up their hands, we go, whoa, 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 don't get too charismatic. But (laughs) the Bible messes up a lot of good sermons. It's there. Now, I know the Bible scholar right now is thinking, that doesn't really mean lifting up real hands. It says holy hands, and your hands aren't holy, and neither are mine. So therefore, it has to be the inner man it's referring to, and I'm not going to argue that. Matter of fact, I believe that. But wait a second. He's writing in this passage to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church, and, and he's saying, lifting up holy hands. What he's getting at, I think, as well, is not just that, but I think he's trying to help us understand that if we're going to pray effectively, we need to lift up hands that are holy. We need to have confessed our sins. We need to make sure that we're right with God. We need to ensure we've met the prerequisites of prayer. And then praise God and yes, Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You, you believe what you want, but I have a real hard time at these so-called Christian rock concerts. Whoa. Listen to me, that's not what we're talking about, friend. You say, you making fun? No, I'm telling you right now, that's an abomination. I'm going to tell you something right now. All that mess is all physical, it's all emotional, 
It's all in the flesh. My friend, God doesn't need us to have a flesh example. He doesn't need us to go around acting in the flesh. He doesn't need us to get all fired up in the flesh and wiggle our bodies and do the gyrations of the world. He don't need that. What he wants is our heart to be in tune with him. We put so much emphasis on the flesh today, and unfortunately it's made its way into the church. We got people called praise teams that stand on uh, 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 stages like this and have skirts up to here. And of course, no man would ever think a bad thought, but have skirts up to here and run around shaking our booties and go ahead and beating on this and beating on that and jumping up and down and going crazy and doing all kinds of stuff. My friend, that is not biblical worship. Someone says, man, I don't agree with you. You don't have to. You really don't. What's America? And it's the Bible. God doesn't strong arm anybody. I just want to encourage you to look into the word of God and really see how we worship God. I just want to challenge you to do that, my friend. I do. Hey, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to sit and lie to you. I believe that everybody that's born again and saved ought to be in a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing Baptist church. I believe it. You know why? Because I believe that those churches are doing as much as they possibly can, the best they can to align themselves with the early church. I didn't say we're perfect. We aren't. Well, we got our problems too. Carry around all this flesh all the time. Weighing us down. Our traditions sometimes get to be priority over the Bible too at times. Let's be honest. We got to be careful. I'm just saying. We try to need to align ourselves with the Word of God the best we can. And when it comes to this praying thing, hey, somebody may get in their prayer closet. Somebody may be in church one day in a prayer meeting and say, Oh, God! (laughs) Shut them down. What? Once while some good songs going on, somebody says, praise God. Knock it off. I'm not going to tell you to do that. Uh, We don't go around here doing a lot of that stuff because we try not to have any show of, try to draw attention to ourselves. To be honest with you, one of the things is we want God to get the attention. So if I stand up in the middle of the service and start going, woohoo, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you. You know what we just did? Just drew all the attention on us. Now again, if you get in a spirit like that, my friend, and it's legit, I'm not going to stop you anyway. You run around, grab that flag, and run around the room. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. That don't happen all the time like that. You get what I'm saying? Now, don't even think about it, bro. You got Watch that guy. He's like that. He wants to do that. He's been planning it for years. We took those little ones off the, off the stage because he wanted to grab one and run around the room with it. Now, if he did that, I might be okay because he's really spiritual. Okay, moving on. But anyway, I'm just saying we need to use some wisdom and we need to be careful and let's not muster it up in the flesh. That's what I guess I'm getting at. But I'm telling you, you can, listen, he said lifting up holy hands. Now, again, I, I, I do believe that's the inner man he's talking about as well. But I do believe that if we're praying and we're in the Spirit and God, the Holy Spirit's taking us into the presence of God, you may just get to where, oh, God, I praise you. Thank you so much. I'm not going to, well, who am I to say it's wrong? When God, the Holy Spirit, used Paul to tell us, yeah, one of the postures of prayer. What about this sitting? This is always interesting to me. I was reading through my Bible quite a few months ago, and I, I came across this one. It was sitting. David, he had wanted to build God a house in which to dwell. He wanted to do that. The gesture was appreciated by God, but it was also denied. It wasn't that God was being mean. It's just that God had another plan and that David didn't quite fit the bill. We learn later that David was a man of war and God didn't want a man of war building his house for him. So God had intended and designed that his son Solomon would be the one who would build the temple. And as long as he and his offspring would be faithful to God and obey the word of God, then they would forever sit on that throne. But we know how that ended. But David, listen to David's prayer, I love it. Turn if you would actually, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at David, this is simple, just a, just a real short little portion. Notice what he says, he, he, he asks a question in his prayer. I love this. And this is where we're going to kind of jump on to some things real quick, the, the main emphasis of all of this. In 2 Samuel seven eighteen, the Bible says, 
And, and David, of course, is the king now. Then went King David in. Now, he's gotten this news. You're not going to be the one to build the temple. Your son is. And as long as he and his offspring continue to walk according to the word of God and live according to my, my, my scripture, then and you know what? They'll, they'll be there. Uh, you, you, I'm going to take care of them. And they're going to be on the throne for generation after generation, David says. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. Here's the posture. And he said, who am I, O Lord God? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? Wow. I don't know about you, but this king, King David, he has an amazingly meek and lowly spirit. Now, wait a second. Think about this. David, King David, even after taking down Goliath, even after rising from the sheep coat to the throne of Israel, even after leading the armies of God into battle and orchestrating scores of victories over the enemies of God, here we have David sitting before God after being told he will not be the one to build the temple, but his son would and his son's offspring would continue to rule on the throne of David if indeed they were faithful. And he says, oh God, he says, oh who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? See, this brings us to the real essence of the posture of prayer. Now, this is where we get to the nitty gritty of it all. I want you now to turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. On Wednesday night, we touched on this. And I, I, I'm not going to re-preach or re-teach what we talked about, but I am going to use a few of the, the thoughts because the thought itself is important to understand when it comes to the posture of prayer, and it affects every last one of us equally. Notice what it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ, he himself says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus now for I am meek and lowly in heart, ye shall find rest unto your souls. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. We're talking about Jesus Christ saying that I am meek and lowly in heart. Meek means mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated. Lowly, that word lowly, having a low esteem of one's own worth. Humble, meek, free from pride. Jesus is saying, listen, he says, for I am mild of temper. I'm gentle. I'm not easily provoked or irritated. I, I am humble and I'm meek, free from pride. That's how David sounded. As he sat before God. It seems to me that's the mentality, that's the attitude that David had received. Hey, is it any wonder that in the book of Acts, the Bible says that when God sought a man after his own heart, he found a man by the name of David? David wasn't really that big of a man at that time. He was a pretty young fellow, wasn't he? Because, see, God didn't just see a man like this with muscles, he saw a man in heart. A man who was meek and lowly, a man who was humble in spirit. It is almost impossible to consider the conditions that Christ endured the way in which he res and, and consider the way in which he responded. I mean, I think about that from, from time to time. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at this now. Again, we're looking at Christ, and again, we're dealing with this posture of prayer. When it's all said and done, what we're going to understand and what we're really going to grasp and what we're really going to learn is that the posture of prayer isn't found in a physical position. It's not an outward position. It's our inward one that's going to matter. Notice what he says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. 
When he says Christ also suffered for us, may I say to you who don't understand who the us is, he's talking about those who were lost in their sin, those who were condemned to death, those that were going to split hell wide open because they were sinners against a holy, righteous God, and now they're no longer in that place. He said Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ suffered for us. Jesus Christ rose for us. Jesus Christ did that for us who deserve to die and go to hell. Oh, man. Isn't that, man, I don't know. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. My friend, I want you to know that when he says, because Christ also suffered for us, you can be part of the us. You can. It's up to you. You make a decision to be a part of the us in that passage. For even here unto are you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Watch, who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Boy, I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ was sinless and he never said a word that was wrong. He always said the right thing. He never used his mouth to hurt or harm. He always did that which was right in the sight of a holy God. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. People pushed him, so to speak, with their mouths, their tongues, and unfortunately, eventually, they even struck him, and he did not respond in return. He didn't go that direction. He turned the other cheek, if you will, so to speak. It says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now listen, if that isn't a meek and lowly spirit, I don't know what is. When you have all the power afforded the universe, when you are the creator of all things, when all of the angels are at your disposal, when you could simply call to even one and they could wipe out the inhabitants of the earth, single file, by themselves. My friend, let me tell you, he had the power to overcome any army and there was no Roman soldier that could have whooped any angel that he had brought in. My friend, Jesus could have wiped everybody out at that moment and said, you won't treat me the creator that way. But he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He was mild of temper. He was gentle. He was easily, not easily provoked or irritated. He was humble. He was free from pride. The God, the creator of all the universe, allowed his creation to treat him the way they did. He permitted it. He allowed it. He humbled himself. And became a man. He submitted to the many abuses of his creation. And he ultimately endured the agony of the cross. That's humility. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James 4 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 6 says, He that giveth more grace, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Matthew 18, 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, God, God honors prayer. And, and whether you're standing, kneeling, looking upward, bowing down on your face, head between your knees, pounding your chest, facing the temple, lifting the hands, or just simply sitting, God is more than happy and he is anxious to answer our prayers. But my friend, it is dependent not just on the position of your body, my friend. It is based on the position of your heart. We have to approach God with an attitude of humility and submission if we truly want to enter into his presence, if we really, really want God to hear us and to answer our prayers. See, when we truly humble ourselves before God, we are acknowledging his superiority. I mean, do you see God as bigger and better than yourself? Sadly enough today, there's a mentality, and it's been going on for years, but it seems to get more and more prevalent, this man upstairs. Who is the man upstairs, my friend? Is that your Uncle John that moved in? 
That's certainly not the God of the Bible. The man upstairs. I'm always amazed when people are like, he. Like we're all supposed to know who he is nowadays. People don't even know who Jesus is. He is God. He's Jehovah God. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is superior to us. In Isaiah 40, 28, the Bible says, Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. He is the creator, and he is far beyond us. He's so high that we can't even see him. He's so beyond us that we can't even imagine who and what he really is. And although we have the Bible who describes him and who it outlines who and what he is, we can't comprehend him because he's so far beyond us. And when we gather in the proper heart position of prayer, it doesn't matter what our physical posture is. What matters is our heart, heart posture. And we go before God and we're saying, you're superior. You're so much bigger than me. You're so great. You're so grand. You're so big. That's what we're saying if we're truly humble. And that's why David, when he stepped up to the plate, he said, oh man. David said, who am I, O oh Lord God? What is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? I'm nothing. You're everything. You're so superior. Not only when we truly humble ourselves before God are we acknowledging his superiority, but we are acknowledging his authority. It's one thing to know that God is so grand and so great and so big. It's another thing to acknowledge his authority over us and in our lives. When we pray to a God who we do not give authority in our lives to, we're kidding ourselves. That's not the proper posture of prayer. I don't care if you're kneeling. I don't care if your face is on the ground. If you don't go to God in prayer, sincerely recognizing his superiority and his authority in your life, my friend, he is not obligated to answer you. Exodus 23 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is there anyone or anything that you have given authority to other than him? I'm talking about before him. Is there anyone or anything that you would listen to first before him if he speaks? If his word teaches it, if his word outlines it, is this the basis of your faith and practice, or is it someone you follow on the internet? Is it a family member or a friend? Is it a husband or wife? Who is it that has authority in your life to change your direction and to affect your daily walk? It ought to be God first. And he will use others, yes. But my friend, until we recognize his authority in our life to do as he pleases and to give us leadership and direction and to accept it without question, my friend, we are not in the proper posture of prayer. When we truly humble ourselves before God, we are acknowledging his superiority, we're acknowledging his authority, and we are acknowledging his priority in our life. Our, we're saying, I need you. Remember our theme? The theme says, let's pray. Why? Because we have to be abiding in the vine. And if we're doing that, we'll bring forth much fruit. But he says, without me, ye can do nothing. Let me sit down when I say this. I just feel like I need to sit down. When I say this, we know, right here, we know without God we can do nothing. But the moment we stand up and start living our lives, if we're not careful, we leave that back behind us. We know it, but we don't live it. You know how I know that? I'm watching marriages disintegrate when the word of God says there's no reason for it. 
I'm watching Christian lives make a wrong turn and go the wrong direction when the Word of God is very clear on how we can overcome that. I'm watching sin take precedent in our life when in reality he says we just need to die to self and we can have victory over sin in our lives. Can I tell you the difference between knowing that without him we can do nothing? I know that, preacher. And it actually affecting our daily walk, our attitude, the direction we travel. It's this far. That far. Most Christians have a really good understanding of this. If you've been in church long enough to know. You've heard it said. But how's it affecting your daily life? How does the word of God and how does Christ himself affect you every day of your life? How does it change what you do, what you say, where you go, how you think, how you feel? How does he do that in your life? And how does this word do that in your life? If it doesn't have that effect on you, if you can't point to the Bible and say, you know what, I'm doing this because the word of God says. I do this because the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased according to his word. I do this because this is what a Christian does according to the word of God. My friend, then it's probably not controlling you. You are controlling you. Stand up and pray. Kneel, look upward, bow down. Get on your face before God. Put your head between your knees, pound your chest, face the temple, lift your hands, sit and pray. I don't care. Do any of those you like. But before those are effective, you have to make sure that you position your heart properly. That it's humble, that it's lowly, that it recognizes and acknowledges his superiority, his authority, and his priority in your life. You get that posture straight. You get that one figured out. I get that one figured out. We're on our way to success in the Christian life, and God's going to do miracles This pride thing's a mess in our lives. Pride keeps us from prayer. But worse, it keeps us from our creator and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today a battle rages for the souls of men and women everywhere. You know that that battle's still just as real as it's always been? You can put your Bibles away, we're done. We're done with the Bible right now. We're entering into what's called the altar call time. Might as well just kind of put everything away and get situated and focused. I don't want any of the ushers leaving during the altar call, by the way. I want everybody to stay in here unless there's an emergency. Let's all give our Lord a chance to work in our hearts. As soon as we get to the prayer time, we're closing the service down and the prayer's taking place. You can slip on out if you need to, if you're on a job or working in a spot in our church. But you know, this thing of pride is a problem today. Not only in the believer's life, but in an unbeliever's life. See, the gateway to hope and deliverance is found through prayer. You say, what prayer? Well, Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pride will keep us from praying to God. See, until we recognize, as we said, his superiority, his authority, and the need for him in our life the way we ought to, our pride will rule us. Our pride will keep us from coming to the only one that can rescue us from our sin, that can keep us or take us from the bondage and enslavement of sin, the only one that can ultimately offer us eternal hope and help, and that's Jesus Christ. But our pride will keep us from praying to him, from asking him to forgive us and to save us, to come into our life, to be our Lord and Savior. It'll keep us depending on ourselves. It'll keep us saying to ourselves, you know, I'm a good person and I'm okay and I'm able to overcome sin. If my good outweighs my bad and God being a loving God will see that and he will be merciful to me. That's pride talking. The Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. The truth is, is no matter how good you are as a human being in your flesh, 
There's a void in your soul that only Jesus Christ can fill. He's the only one that can rescue you from that sin that you were inherently born with, that you will live in and die with. That sin that ultimately will separate you forever from a loving God that created you and gave you his very best on the cross. I pray today that you will die to self, that you will say to yourself, my pride is not worth going to hell over. And it is Jesus Christ that I need. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. He shed his precious blood and only he can save me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you believe that? If you do, call on him today. Receive him as your Savior. Leave here changed. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's the kind of beginning you need today. That's the beginning I had with him. It's the beginning you had. Father, we come to you. We need you today. Father, we ask that you would just work in our lives, that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace in our lives. But Lord, we need you today. I pray, Lord, there wouldn't be one in this place that would leave here not being able to say, Christ suffered for us. Lord, may they be able to say that, including themselves. Father, I pray for the believer today. May we, Father, align our heart. May we be in the right prayer posture internally. May we get our hearts right and in the proper position so that, Father, you can hear us and you will answer. Bless us now. We need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Okay, I don't know for sure if I died. I'd